Screenagers, welcome back to another episode of The Canon, the only movie podcast providing you with the watch list of the most essential movies ever made. We've got another very fun one today. Uh, I've got Pat Brennan of the Commentary Podcast here to discuss Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the great Steven Spielberg movie. Pat, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you for having me. I'm, it's going great. How are you doing? I, I'm I'm good. I'm uh, I'm battling. Uh, we were talking before we started recording, but I lost my voice over the weekend, and I'm going to try to battle through. But I think we've got it. You know, this is <laughs> you, you sound good to me, though. So I just got over. <laughs> I, co- I got got over COVID, so we're both in the trenches. So we're both battling. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> and uh, we're going to get through it together. So <laughs> I'm ex- I'm very excited for this one. Um, like I said, we're going to be talking Close Encounters of the Third Kind, amazing Steven Spielberg movie from 77. I think this might be the third or maybe fourth Steven Spielberg movie that we've done so far on the canon. We've definitely done Jurassic Park and Jaws and Raiders. So Classic. yeah, this is number four, <laughs> all classics. I mean, he's the best. He is the, he's the best. He is my favorite director of all time. So he's the reason I got into movies. Um, I so love this. This is, is going to be great, great pod. Sweet. I'm excited to get into into all of that with you. But uh, but before we start talking, you know, Spielberg in general and Close Encounters specifically, uh, also did mention that you're the host of the Commentary Podcast, which I, I believe launched earlier this year or maybe late 2023. Late, yeah, uh, late 2023, yeah. So for folks who who don't know about the show. Want to just give us like a quick overview of what you're doing over there um, with that show, sort of what the whole idea is behind it, how you conceived it, and uh, just like how it's been going so far. Yeah, so a f- I would say about like five months ago, um, I was watching um, one of my Blu-rays. I have a massive uh, movie collection, um, <laughs> but I was watching one of my Blu-rays, and it was a it was David Fincher's Gone Girl. And I was like, I'm going to put the commentary track on. And I was just sitting there listening to it. It's like, man, I love commentary mm-hmm. tracks. And I think what's been lost, especially with streaming movies, like, like say, um, The Irishman on um, streaming on Netflix. Mm-hmm. But Netflix, Netflix is not going to add any special features, any commentary tracks, anything for that. And I was like, I just feel like commentary tracks are something that's missing it's like kind of like a lost form of like within film um mm-hmm. and speaking of speaking of spielberg he hates he's never done a commentary track and he said he'll never do one because he doesn't want to do it so, oh wow <laughs> but so i i thought of an idea i was like i kind of want to i wanted to be didn't want to be the guy that was like i'm going to start another podcast but i was like i don't think i've ever seen a podcast that just essentially does a commentary track. Like you just sit there and you watch the movie. We press play at the same time and you watch the movie. So I was like, Hey, I'll buy a microphone. I'll do it. So <laughs> I just started. <laughs> Someone doing needs it. to do first, it. Yeah. My first episode was Halloween. I just did it by myself. little rough to begin because trying to, just trying to get the leeway Dude, of it. That's uh, hard. <laughs> um, so then I put out on Twitter. I was like, Hey, if anyone wants to join me on doing these, these, uh, watching these movies with me more than welcome got a lot of responses back very fast and i believe you're going to be on the podcast soon but that's in the future (laughs) Um, (laughs) so yeah so basically what what i do is say um i'll have like a little intro of the movie um 
basic quick because these movies could be two hours, two and a half hours. I don't want to spend yeah. 30 minutes on an intro. This podcast turns into three and a half hours. Who's listening to that? So <laughs> um, <laughs> what I did, just a quick intro, quick intro of the guest. And then I, I pr- most likely will be owning the movie, um, mm-hmm. but I, I'll tell you where it's streaming, where to rent it. Mo- people might even have it so they can just put it in their DVD player, 4K player, whatever mm-hmm. they have. Um, so yeah, and then I just do a countdown like three, two, one, and we both just press play at the same time. Um, so essentially, you would watch the movie while with me and listen to me and a guest just talk about the movie. It's a lot of fun. Um, I love doing it, and it's gotten me to even while I'm watching it, seeing like we just recorded um, Collateral uh, today, actually. Oh, nice. Um, and, and I had noticed I'd seen that movie a hundred times, and. I just noticed some things. I was like, Oh wait, I'd never even noticed that. I've seen this movie a hundred times. And now that I'm just mm-hmm. openly talking about it with somebody, I just noticed the other details that I've never seen before. So yeah, um, we're on Instagram and Twitter just as T commentary pod. So give us a follow. Uh, we're on Apple and Spotify. So give us a follow there too. And yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Podcast. Give it a follow, smash those subscribe buttons, leave those uh, five star reviews. Yeah. It is a great show. I was uh, I was listening to your War of the Worlds episode, and mm-hmm. it just it reminds me of when you're just watching a movie with your friends, and you know, kind of just like going back and forth, like a movie that you've both seen a thousand times, mm-hmm. and just shooting the shit with each other while watching the movie. Very easy casual but also informative kind of conversations uh mm-hmm. that i feel like you're having on the show and like you said like the dvd commentary is kind of a lost art you know there are those there are those among us who are trying to keep physical media alive you know i've got my small collection i know that you have a massive dvd collection mm-hmm. um how many dvds do you think you own um, so I have actually logged, so I have like a running like note on my phone of how, like, so in case I have so many, so I probably have mm-hmm. over 30, 3,400 now. And that includes oh, wow. 4Ks, Blu-rays and DVDs. Um, but the problem I sometimes run into is when I try to like, uh, there's a used like bookstore near me. It's called book off. Mm-hmm. It's in there. There's a bunch in LA area. Um, they they sell used 4Ks, Blu-rays, and DVDs. Um, the problem I run into is I'm like, wait, do I own this movie? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so I had to essentially go. Th- it took a long time. I had to log every single movie that I owned, um, and it, it's around. It's over 3,400. I don't know the exact number. I have to go back and look, but yeah, um, it's a lot. <laughs> I own a lot of. Oh movies. my god, <laughs> that's amazing, dude! I have like not even a hundred. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like that's a ton. And like most of my friends think that I have a lot of DVDs. So 3,400 is, yeah, that's whatever, just, but whenever that's awesome. Comes in, yeah. Whenever anyone comes into my apartment, um, uh, they're like, Oh, you have a lot of movies. And I'm like, Oh, you're not even, this is just the living room. So like, I'll take them yes. into the, I, it's the movie room. And they're like, they come in, they're like, Holy shit, dude. <laughs> like, is you know, is like, it yeah is it a whole viewing room or is it just where you house the movies it's just like it's it's like a storage so it's not really like a there's no tv in here it's just where i house mm-hmm. everything but everything okay. is organized to how i need it to be i know where everything is if you mentioned a movie i could find it for you in two seconds 
I know everything is. How, how it's do like you useless information. <laughs> um, so it's like, uh, I start with, I start with, it's so, I've gotten a lot of, I posted this on Twitter in my movie room when it like for, when I first made it, it's gotten a lot mm-hmm. better. I've gotten better shelving. I, I got rightfully ridiculed for some of the stuff. So I was like, okay, I get it. My shelving sucks. But someone really roasted me on how I organized it and said that it was very like, like this guy needs help. And I was like, all right, calm down. Um, so I, <laughs> I have it separated like 4Ks are all by themselves and then it's like Blu-ray mm-hmm. alphabetical and then like then I get into like series are in their own thing, horrors mm-hmm. in its own section, like criterions in its own section, um, then nice. box sets are in their own area, DVDs are in their own area, but it's very it's organized very meticulously and I'm running out of room, I will say. I'm running out of room, so <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do eventually, <laughs> so... Just you'll just have to move to another apartment. I guess. Right. Hopefully own a house. Hopefully own a house. Yeah, just buy a ho- buy a house. That's the only way to uh to keep the, the physical media addiction alive. I'll be like um Guillermo del Toro has his own uh separate house where he has all of his collectibles and all of his movie yeah. collection. That's gonna be me. Just a, a guest a guest house for all the DVDs and collectibles. That's the dream. <laughs> that really is the dream. I live in a tiny New York City apartment, so you know the DVDs that I and Blu-rays that I do have are already starting to take up like so much of the limited space uh, that I have. And like I live with my girlfriend, so I feel like mm-hmm. every time I'm I order a new DVD or box set, she's just like, "Like, where are you going to put that? We just don't have the room for it." <laughs> You're just like, "Don't worry about." So it. <laughs> I'm I'm not quite I'm not quite in your boat yet, but you know oh, yeah, I definitely sure, feel sure. your pain. I'm sure if she saw this, she'd be like, no, you're not doing any of this. Yeah. <laughs> show, I, I'll show her a picture of your movie room. <laughs> Babe, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I'm working towards. Like, like, absolutely my, enti- my entire life has led to this moment. This is what I need. <laughs> so, all right. Speak, speaking of, I feel like around the time that you like first posted the movie room on Twitter, there was a bit of controversy we'll say it went a little viral and it did. maybe for the wrong reasons can you it quickly for maybe any listeners who aren't familiar with the story just quickly walk us through what what happened there yeah so at the time i didn't have as many followers as i do now on twitter but i just posted i was like hey i made this like we have an extra room here and i was like oh i have a lot of movies i'm gonna like make this a movie room like and i just basically wanted to show off my movie collection so I posted it and very quickly, someone I didn't even follow um, quote tweeted me saying that this is one type of nerd that I will not have sex with. Um, so I was like, okay. And I like screenshot, I screenshotted it and I just was like, I just commented under her thing. Well, that was rather rude. And she immediately blocked me and deleted it. But then I was like, you know, I'm just going to post this screenshot. In hindsight, mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't have posted the screenshot, but yeah whatever <laughs> i posted i posted the screenshot and i basically was like every day is like a struggle on this app or something and yeah i got that tweet of the, the, the screenshot of her saying that 
got 155,000 likes. I don't know how it went that far. Oh, wow. And it got to the point where I became the villain in the end. <laughs> so What? Yeah. But I gained a lot of followers from there. Actually, a lot of people that are really good friends I got mm-hmm. from that tweet now. So it was worth it. Um, but yeah, the infamous movie room. Um, I don't try and post it anymore because I'm not trying to get roasted again. So yeah. <laughs> I have... I think it's, I have some fun, Funko Pops, and I think some people didn't like that. So uh, okay, that is <laughs> that that's such a where... weird response. It's <laughs> not like you like actively reached out to her and was like, "Hey, check out my movie room. Like, let's yeah. hook up now." It's just yeah. <laughs> you're just yeah, posting something like, really cool. I, yeah. <laughs> look, I'm not gonna have sex with you, but I think the movie room is pretty dope. Yeah, I'll just throw uh, that out there. Yeah, <laughs> it's gotten a lot better too. Maybe some, maybe I'll, I have better shelving. Maybe people will like it this time. So. Yeah, that that was her. That was her issue with it. You know, yeah. <laughs> that was the issue. It was the shelving. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was the Funko Bobs. <laughs> so. I love the many. response that that was pretty mean. <laughs> well, that was pretty yeah. mean. <laughs> yeah, and I think she probably was like, "Oh, he actually saw that. Maybe that was a little mean." Yeah. But maybe it was. In hindsight, mean. in hindsight, I'm sure like it went so viral that I'm sure she got some. And I didn't mean yeah. it for it to go that mean it for it to go that far, but she got a bit uh, of traction as well. I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> I also but, like the phrasing. This is one type of nerd I'll never have sex with, which implies yeah. that there are other types of nerds type out of there nerd. yeah. that she's like really willing to to hook up with. Yeah, so I guess just she doesn't like movie guys. I'm a film bro, yeah. I guess. With my Wong Kar Wai box set, I'm a film bro. So yeah. <laughs> we're all film bros at the end of the day, right? <laughs> In my decalogue, the decalogue criterion. So. Yeah, that is that's so film bro, so <laughs> film bro of you. I feel like <laughs> okay, we don't have to get too into this because I feel like this is a bit of a tangent, but I do feel like, uh, I feel like the film bros need to reclaim the 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 word film bro like mm-hmm. the real film bros the the guys with the good fellas and pulp fiction and fight club posters they need to reclaim the term film bro from the <laughs> from the cinephiles who collect criterion uh dvds and are watching like you know like like you said like uh like bergman and uh mm-hmm. and like warner herzog movies and um and like love kurosawa and old like samurai films those aren't film bros those are those are cinephiles you're like you with your decalogue uh um box set you're you're a cinephile okay the the marty guys the guys who watch wolf of wall street and think that um that the the jordan belfer character is the coolest guy in the world those are film bros and they need to reclaim it they have all this hanging in their hanging in their apartment. <laughs> yeah, we need we need to to reassess who we're calling film bros. That's my that's my little rant on that. There's there's three movies: Goodfellas, not my favorite Scorsese movie; uh, Pulp Fiction, not my favorite uh, Tarantino; and Fight Club is by far not my favorite David Fincher. So I am definitely not a film yeah. bro. <laughs> <laughs> very fair. Very fair. I mean, I have like I have like high Sierra criterion like pointing out into the into the movie room. Like, no one probably knows what that movie is. So. Yeah, I I don't think I've ever heard of that movie. I, yeah, just, I don't think I'm a film bro, but I mean, I do love my that very basic top four taste. But like Back to the Future is 
Back to the Future Raiders, um, Zodiac, and Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, that's pretty. That's kind of film, bro. I would say it's a little film, bro. That's that's, that's teetering. Film, <laughs> yeah, it's borderline film, bro. Yeah, not not as problematic as uh as like the other film, bro movies, but mm-hmm. dude, but liking basic movies is I think it's great. They're basic for a reason. Back to the Future is everyone's favorite movie because it's sick. You know, yeah. I don't think I've ever met anyone that didn't like Back to the Future. Yeah, it's it's so. it's silly. We don't have to pretend to be cooler than, than <laughs> you know, things that are great. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. I love it. So, speaking of great movies, speaking of basic directors, you know, <laughs> if you go around and say Steven Spielberg is my favorite director, a lot of people will, a lot of film bros we're saying that with air quotes will you know turn their nose up to you and say oh that's such a basic pick but steven spielberg is one of the most popular uh directors of all time in cinema history for a reason and it's because he's really flipping good at making Mm -hmm. movies one of those really flipping good movies is of course close encounters of the third kind which is what we're here to talk about so pat before we get into the movie itself uh i know we've kind of mentioned this before um, we've been sort of, uh, you know, poking around it, but tell me about your relationship to Spielberg, sort of how you feel about his movies as a whole, where close encounters sort of fits into your whole, you know, relationship with Spielberg. Is it your favorite Spielberg movie? Is it, you know, maybe a little bit lower on the list? Just walk me through all, all of that. So basic film bro take steven spielberg is my favorite director of all time he is the reason (gasps) i got into movies yeah by far my favorite director and i guess i have reclaimed the film bro basic taste (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i i just growing up i just realized i would always go back and rewatch steven spielberg either directed or produced movies just like they all have the same type of feel to me. They feel like mm-hmm. a movie. Like they feel like this is a movie to me. And speaking of Close Encounters, that actually is not like in a top echelon of Spielberg movies for me, even though I have it like at a five out of five, but it's still not mm-hmm. in my top echelon because I think he's, he he's only really ever made, I would say in quotations, a bad film. Um, and it's probably 1941, which he made um, mm-hmm. a few years after this. Um, actually, I think it was his next movie. Um, mm-hmm. But Close Encounters, upon rewatching it recently, I realized, like, holy shit, this guy is so good at directing a movie right after Jaws. And to come off of that type of arguably the greatest movie ever made in jaws to mm-hmm. make arguably some people also consider one of the greatest movies ever made in close encounters is just a testament to how good he is as a director and i think he's still even today with post fablemans and west side story he's still got it he's still got it way more than some directors do absolutely i mean like you said it's some people will consider it a basic opinion but you look at the guy's body of work and he's got just about as many masterpieces as, as anyone, his movies feel like movies. He makes great movies that are 
emotionally rich. They're like artistically complex, but also like super accessible to someone who, you know, has seen someone who watches 500 movies a year, but also someone who watches like 10 to 15 movies a year. You know, he's able to speak to to both of those groups and everyone in between. And, you know, I th- I think that being able to have mass appeal doesn't necessarily take away from Spielberg. If anything, mm-hmm. it just speaks to how great he is at making movies. Mm-hmm. Especially because people like they don't know a name like um, Michael Curtiz. They would be like, I don't know mm-hmm. who that is, even though he made Casablanca. they don't know they don't know who that guy is but if you mentioned steven spielberg they'd be like oh i know who that guy is like even if they showed you a photo like i know that's steven spielberg and like you said the testament to how big he is to continue to deliver time after time just shows how he arguably is one of the greatest directors to ever do it if you like again he's so high up you have to continue to deliver because if you don't, you're going to be like, oh, these he sucks. He's overrated. And I'm sure there are people that do think he is overrated, but um, I don't. And he's great. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I also think he's great. Uh, this movie is one of his. It's like, I mean, I guess it depends on the person. You know, some people will definitely list it as their first you know, favorite Spielberg movie. For me, it's maybe like somewhere in like the five to seven range but like mm-hmm. still an amazing piece of of cinema and, and and filmmaking uh do you remember the first time that you watched this movie do you like have a specific memory tied to that or is it one of those movies that has just sort of like always like existed in your life i don't rem- like really fully remember the first time i watched it um it definitely was a little later in life it wasn't like a Spielberg movie like Indiana, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jaws, mm-hmm. um, E.T., like those movies, and then, which is funny because it came out around those times. But it wasn't a movie that um, I would go back and rewatch all of the time. But every time I watched it, I was like, damn, that's a good movie. But again, like you're saying, it falls like it's probably like number 10 of mine of Spielberg's movies, like probably 10th, like his 10th mm-hmm. best that I think. Um but yeah, it's just, but then again, when I rewatch it, I'm like, damn, maybe it is higher. I don't know. Like, it's like, because <laughs> like what I love, and we can get into it more. What I love about how the story is completely structured is like, and I've re- noticed it on the rewatch. I was like, damn, like the for the first three quarters of this movie, you think is an entirely different movie until you get to the very, very end. And you're like, wow, basically this whole movie is about communication when it could have easily gone somewhere else. <laughs> like so. Yeah. Uh, it's That's such a good point. Yeah, why don't you, I, t- I mean, we let's talk about the structure now since, since you brought it up, like what specifically yeah. about the structure of the movie? Um, like, do you think that that's the most impressive piece of the filmmaking or do you think it's just um, like another, you know, another part of the puzzle of like what makes it so great? Like, what is it about, about the structure specifically that you love so much. I think that's why whenever I rewatch it, I'm like, damn, this is great because from what I think the first like three quarters of that movie is, it's a horror film because they don't understand what's happening and they make it seem, especially when, um, and it's Spielberg's favorite shot of all time when the kid opens the door and the light is right there. 
and they essentially oh, capture the child. They essentially capture the child, and that whole sequence is like everything's in the house is shaking. Like it, it would be terrifying. It's terrifying to see. And then the kid gets taken, and the mom's running after it. You're like, this is a horror movie. Like <laughs> this yeah. is literally a horror movie, and a big emotional thing for Spielberg, which has always been in his movies, is the family dynamic. And mm-hmm. you're watching a man essentially like just leave his family because he's just so invested in this thing that essentially touched him. So now he's essentially going crazy. He's like, he's going crazy. Like he's in a horror movie and he's like building this mountain in the garage. Like people are watching him just essentially go nuts for, they have no idea why. And like the destruction of the family dynamic, which is a big part of Spielberg's life in general, which he addressed essentially in the Fablemans, um, mm-hmm. could be a, could be considered a horror type of thing too within the family, like a perfectly like all American, not all American, but like a suburban family, like yeah. two kids and like mother, father, and just the destruction of that on top of this alien invasion that's happening, but they don't know what it is. Um, it, it just, to me, the first three quarters all are about like, it just feels like a horror movie because yeah. half the time you're going through like a chase scene, they're capturing people because they're, they think they're infected. Um, but yeah, that's, I've always thought it was like, a, it is a horror. And then you get to the very end. It's like, oh, we're just little aliens like saying hi. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're just cute. They're just cute little guys. They just want to yeah. say what's up. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh, here's everybody, here's everybody we captured. <laughs> they're just, yeah. they're just saying hi. <laughs> like, yeah. We were just hanging out, you know, we had some ice cream up in the ship. It was, it was a good time. Um, that's such a good point. I've never, I've never like really read it as a horror movie, at least in like the first part of it. Um, I, I guess I've, I like, I've always been so focused on the sci-fi element mm-hmm. of it that I never, but it is, it is really scary. Like that sequence that you're talking about with the kid getting abducted is, legit terrifying and that shot of him opening the door is one of the most insane shots in movie history oh yeah um like i feel like that shot alone is what won this movie uh best cinematography at the oscars definitely yeah spielberg has said that shot and then in jurassic park when the the t-rex puts his foot down on like the mud right in front of them like that's his other favorite shot of all time yeah he loves that the the kid opening the door because he says like it's it, he felt like it was him because he would always like go out exploring as like a child like he was always just fascinated to like be outside and yeah he, just, he felt like that was him opening the door and because he even says like it's a terrifying shot <laughs> so do you, do you think that this is the most personal movie for Spielberg like do you think that this movie features the most of himself in it I would say. This um, and I would probably disregard Fablemans because that's kind of too on the nose of his life. Yeah, Um, I would say this and probably E.T. because Mm -hmm. it's the main functions of those movies are how the family is essentially decaying um, and there is no essentially home structure, which he he thought that he was lacking in his life because his parents would always be like fighting at everything. And yeah. he always, he had, he had a deep resentment towards that relationship. And I think he, he takes that family dynamic and builds off of it and then adds in like, say, okay, now we're going to bring aliens in. We're going to bring again, yeah. ET. we're going to bring it in alien, mm-hmm. <laughs> like connecting, <laughs> connecting with something that's outer worldly in a way. Mm-hmm. And 
and I think a lot of people have the problem with Spielberg is that his endings are always like too like hopeful, like they're too family hopeful, as opposed mm-hmm. to like like say like an ET, like especially everyone's like kind of coming back together together at the end. Close encounters, like, mm-hmm. oh, we just want to talk about communication. Like, we're actually really nice people. Like, come and come and join us on our alien adventures now. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's yeah. where some do have a critique of him where he's like too like blockbuster family person um but then again he can reinvent himself and make raiders of the lost ark and then they'd be like oh he can only make blockbusters and they're like okay well then yeah. i'm gonna make the color purple and shut you all up so <laughs> yeah <laughs> i oh, just his range he's is so versed, his range is insane he just he did he knows how essentially like the family dynamic works and when it is like decaying, essentially when there's divorce happening, dad's going mm-hmm. crazy. He doesn't care about his, it doesn't seem like he even cares about his family anymore. Um, that to me, it could, could be considered like a horrific thing within the family. Like your dad just left, like he's just gone. Like, yeah. And, and it's, which is weird because would have that type of character then, essentially be the main character in the end to be like, Oh, I'm going to go with these aliens that are actually like helping us. And it's interesting to just, you frame that character who kind of just abandons his family to then go essentially be a part of this other outer worldly thing, which it's kind of crazy if you think about it. Yeah. I mean, I think the ending is both very hopeful, but also pretty tragic mm-hmm. in that it ends with a father fully leaving his family and the whole movie is really building up to a point of the father is you know he's continuously slipping into this obsession with the aliens and figuring out what's what's going on and you know what what his encounter was all about and his family leaves him and at the end you know, you maybe think that the Hollywood ending would be he he like sees the mothership and at the last moment he decides, you know, as much as I want to go, I really need to be there for my wife and my kids. And he decides to, you know, stay and he goes back to them and they're all reunited and it's and it's happy, happy, happy in that regard. And you kind of get the best of both worlds. But it works so well that the ending here is him leaving and in a lot of ways it doesn't feel as tragic as a father fully leaving his family like should Mm -hmm. um and i think part of that is because for so much of the movie we're really just like watching him go on this obsessive journey that is like borderline spiritual and so at the end he gets his spiritual gains but it's like at what cost Mm-hmm. which I think is, is, is the troubling thing. Um, but I, so I read an interesting quote about uh, just sort of like the whole family dynamic within the movie. And I want to get your thoughts on this, but uh, Danilo Castro from next best P- picture wrote um, that the movie it's about, you know, families being broken apart and coming back together. Uh, but you have the mother character looking for the son and the father abandoning the family, which kind of, 
you know, with everything that we know about Spielberg's history and his family relationship, that's kind of like how he viewed his parents with like his mother being the one to reach out to him and the father being the one who leaves them all behind. And it is really interesting that that like B plot is about a mom whose kid gets abducted and she's just going to the aliens to get her kid back. She doesn't have the same kind of obsession that uh, Dreyfus's character has. She's simply going to to get her her son back. So I was curious what you think about about all of that and sort of like the mirroring of how Spielberg sees his parents and, and how those two characters specifically sort of play out in the movie. Yeah, um, which is interesting now that I think about it because um, the mother that's trying to find her son, there is no dad in that household either. Yeah. So essentially it's you're taking essentially two families. One's already been broken and one is breaking. And it, it, you kind of maybe, if you had never seen this movie before, hint that, oh, maybe these two are going to connect now and they're going to become mm-hmm. like a, 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 like a together unit. And again, no, this guy is just so set on leaving. And I wouldn't be surprised if Spielberg thinks that probably Close Encounters is the most personal movie to him. Because I'm sure he probably doesn't see it as an alien invasion. Again, he sees it as a this is about families t- being broken essentially, and mm-hmm. only one it connects back together. She gets her son back, but one is broken, and not everything every family is going to have a happy ending. Even if, say, the father did come back, there could still be some sort of struggle there, and eventually the, the family does break apart in the end. And the more I think about it, the the most important scene probably in this movie is when they're at the dinner table and he's like playing around with like the mashed potatoes. And oh my God. The that whole scene family is, is so just good. silent, staring at him, realizing that he's clearly like, they don't know what's going on with him. Cause he's obviously been now like touched by the aliens. So he just keeps seeing things and seeing all this stuff that they can't see. Mm-hmm. And, but in their minds, they're seeing that it seems like he's just having like a complete mental breakdown and they're watching their father just lose it. So in their minds, they're losing it and they're emotional. And I think that is the most important scene because they're all, there's like no dialogue in it at all. And it's just you just mm-hmm. they're just sitting there watching this guy, their father and husband just essentially like they're like, we've lost him. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I have to get out of here. And yeah. It's heartbreaking to see that in a movie you're like, oh, I thought this movie was about like aliens, like someone, but like it's yeah. not about aliens. Like it's about no, it's totally about the fight, a lot of other things. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. We said that the the shot of the kid opening the door with you know the the aliens outside and the and the red light um, and all that stuff is probably the most iconic shot of the movie. But I do think maybe the most powerful shot of the movie is in that dinner table scene where it's that, that split shot of, uh, of Richard Dreyfuss's Roy character in the foreground, just like mesmerized by the the potato mountain that he's sculpting. And mm-hmm. I think it's his oldest son is in the, the background and you can just see him. Like he just starts to like break, breaking down and crying because he's like, my dad is gone. Like my dad is like mm-hmm. so far gone. There's like no hope of, of him like being the present dad that I, that I once knew. And to me, that's the most heartbreaking shot in in the entire movie. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. No, I'm sure that's 
is basically Spielberg himself. He probably would say that's me watching my family break down and I can't do anything about it. So it's, yeah, it's heartbreaking to see in a science fiction movie. So. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is one of those movies where the rest of the filmmakers filmography and just like personal history really changes and recontextualizes how we watch it. Like, I feel like rewatching this movie after having seen the Fablemans, it makes so much more sense mm -hmm. than any of the times that I watched it pre Fablemans. And there was that great clip when uh, the Fablemans was out and people were talking about it and talking about Spielberg. There was that great clip from him on inside the actor's studio where James Lipton was like, so in close encounters of the third kind, your, um, your mom was a, a music teacher and your dad was a computer scientist and the aliens communicate with their computers through music. The movie was about reconciling like the differences with your parents. And Spielberg was like, yeah, I had no idea that I was actively doing that, but it makes yep. so much sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and then you, so you watch the Fablements and, and it totally recontextualizes the way that, that we watch this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even like when he was making the Fablements, like some of the actors would say like in the middle of them, like him directing them, he would just like stop. And like, he's like, just, I need a minute. And like, he would just need to like walk away because he's realizing like, I've been directing this my whole life. And now mm -hmm. that I'm actually directing it, I'm coming with all of these emotions being like, this is essentially what I have been directing. Because when you watch The Fablemans, you're like, I mean, these themes have been all of his movies, just like essentially broken families and broken people. And you're mm -hmm. trying to find a fix somewhere. And again, like you said, he didn't even realize that he put music and, and like computer communication together. Like I didn't even think of that because like, I've always thought of that, <laughs> but yeah. on, on, as deep down, like deep down, I didn't realize like what I was doing. So it probably takes him a long time until someone even points it out to him or be like, oh yeah, like it's clearly about me. Like, <laughs> yeah. clearly yeah. about me. <laughs> like, and, and I, I mean, think to go from think... Jaws to this, like you're hitting home run after home run. And then his next movie is when he falters and mm -hmm has to reinvent himself again and i think that's a testament to how good he really is so it's yeah it's and then he has that an insane run through the 80s through the 90s um yeah. you know releases jurassic park and schindler's list in the same calendar year uh one of the most outrageous things that any director has ever done uh and then you know he's still pumping out hits with west side story and the fablemans like yeah. he's, he's dude, still releases he's done it to like multiple times though two movies in a year yeah. It's catch me if you can minority report insane yeah so he's so good um i think so on the you know how personal this movie is to, to spielberg topic i think another reason for that is i think this is the only movie that he has sole writing credits for um so you can tell that this is really like a passion project for him something mm -hmm. that he feels super deeply um is, is very personal to him. Do you have any familiarity with like the different cuts and versions of this movie that he like played around with afterwards? Have you seen any of those different versions or are you only familiar with like, I guess like the 77 theatrical release standard cut 
um i think the first cut i definitely saw of it was just the theatrical um i own the 4k which comes with the theatrical the director's cut and like i guess the collector's cut collector's edition cut um mm-hmm. off the top of my head i don't remember what all of the differences are <laughs> um yeah. but whenever i whenever i see a director's cut i'm gonna lean that way because that's what the director wants me to see um yeah. this is like his final cut of the movie but yeah, the difference is I don't really remember how much difference there is in most of it. I think there's just a, maybe a few extended scenes from the theatrical to the director's cut. Um, but I personally don't even, I own it, but I don't think I've ever actually seen the collector's edition cut of the actual movie. Got it. So I, it seems like the, you know, the director's cut is probably the, the, the best, best bet for, uh, for this movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's the best bet if you ever see any director. Like, speaking of a director's cut, like I still have not seen Napoleon or um, the Rebel Moon that came out. If you're telling mm. me there's a direct, if there's a director's cut coming out, I'm gonna wait for that because that's the yeah. actual movie. That's the actual movie that we're supposed to be watching, and that's why Scorsese's movies are always long because they're the director's mm. cuts. He's yeah, always fought the first so long the cut. Yeah. is the director's cut. That's his. That's the cut of the movie that should be released. And Spielberg yeah. has done a good job where he doesn't really have director's cuts because he knows he knows how much an audience can wait around for before they start mm-hmm. to be like, I'm getting bored. Unless you're like a huge into movies, you're going to be there no matter what. But 99% of audiences are like, after two hours, they're going to be looking at their watch, being like, how long is this movie? so and i think that's what he's really good at with like confining an entire story within where he knows audiences are going to either go be along with a ride or this this is this is lingering too long we need to cut some of this stuff down um and he i don't think he had rarely has many deleted scenes either so he shoots what he wants to shoot and and i think this might be besides maybe duel there i think there's a director's cut but i think this might be the only movie where he really has an actual director's cut yeah. for the actual movie i think i i read some stuff where when the movie was released he felt that he felt that it wasn't his final version it felt like a work in progress and i do think mm-hmm. that most of that is due to the fact that he does feel so such a strong personal connection to this movie not to say that he doesn't have a strong personal co- connection to a lot of the other movies that he's made, but you know, with with all those others, there's um, a strong feeling of just of completion and it's finished. But because this movie is essentially about his parents' divorce and like trying to get them back together, um, mm-hmm. that's always something that he's going to be thinking about. And like, so it's it, it makes sense that he will continuously like go back and and, and try to like move things around or cut things out and add more things or whatever it may be. Uh, but Hey studios, um, when a director wants to make a movie, how about you let the director make the movie that they want to make <laughs> and everything that gets released should just be the director's cut because, yep. uh, that's what, that's what the author wants to make. So that's what we should, what <laughs> audiences should see. Hey, I agree. I agree. So hundred percent, 100. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, Let's talk about the cast because I feel like the cast of this movie is, is pretty great. Is there a particular role or character or actor or performance in this movie that like sticks out to you maybe more than, than some of the other ones? 
Um, I always, whenever I turn this movie on, I'm like, oh, I always forget Truffaut is in this movie. Like, <laughs> how the what hell? What an did insane guess. How did you get Truffaut to be in this movie? Like, I don't understand. Like, that's so me. Good. Like, obviously, Richard Dreyfus is like you would be like, oh, it's Richard Dreyfus, but I just always laugh. Like, it's Truffaut. Like, he's just. It seems like he's having a blast too. Like, yeah, he's he's always a character I've always loved in this movie especially from that op- again from like the opening scene like you just see like is that really is france Truffaut is literally standing right there like how do how does spielberg be like hey i'm like 30 come be in my movie yeah. Truffaut. <laughs> like yeah okay apparently he was there. great on set and he showed up and he was like i'm just here to act and take direction from steven spielberg i'm not going to be behind the scenes giving input um, in terms of like how to direct it or anything, I'm literally just here as an actor, which I feel like is an awesome thing to do as one of the most accomplished act, uh, directors, rather, you know, of your generation. And you're being directed by, yes, Steven Spielberg, who made Jaws and is known around the, the business to be a great director, but still like mostly unproven and pretty young. Mm-hmm. Like, that I mean, that takes a lot of confidence and trust on both of their ends to be able to make that work the way that it did. Oh yeah, and like because Jaws was technically his third movie, and that production was not easy sailing. So he still, mm-hmm. again, was had to prove himself again. Like, can you fall? He could have just made Jaws, and then his next movie is a like a clunk, and then he's out of the business. He's done. And he basically had been like, oh, yeah. I, know I made Jaws, I guess. Because people think that Jaws is his first movie, but it's technically his like third movie. But like you're yeah. saying, he still, had, he still had to prove himself. And then he yeah. does Close Encounters. And you're like, okay, I think this guy's got it. But then after Close Encounters is when he faltered with 1941. Because he even said, I tried to make like a slapstick comedy and it just didn't work. Didn't work. <laughs> that's he, that's why I don't make comedies. So. Yeah, he's got a he's got a lot of range, but comedy is not within that range. Yeah, and I I do agree. I was like, yeah, I don't think it worked very well. <laughs> but interesting, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, who wrote Back to the Future, wrote 1941. So it's it's also a testament to, and I don't know if Truffaut he probably was just like this could be fun. I don't know. It's my only yeah. like English speaking like movie I'm ever going to be in. Um, but it, like speaking of like using writers from 1941 in a movie that technically failed, it's a testament mm-hmm. to how Spielberg is still willing to go to bat even after he makes 1941, then it makes E.T. Raiders of the Lost Ark to then go back to the writers and be like, hey, I know you're trying to get like back to the future being made. I'll, mm-hmm. I'm going to help you make that because even though we failed here, I want you to succeed here and you're going to get all of the credit for this this is your movie but i'm gonna help you do this and that's a testament to him i think as a director and a producer of how he can even say after jaws maybe people Truffaut wanted like oh i love jaws i'll be in the movie like yeah (laughs) he wants me to be in his movie awesome jaws is great yeah yeah. (laughs) It, it is it is such a good performance and you can really tell that he's you know he's having fun he's he's committed um, in a really, in a really cool way. Like he's locked in, in a way that he doesn't need to be, but it, it makes the movie great. Uh, I got to give a shout out to, to my guy, Bob Balaban, who's in oh, this yeah. movie. That guy's great. And he's one of those dudes who pops up in everything. He's what my friends and I like to call an, Oh fuck. Yeah, dude. 
mm-hmm. like he's a he's a character actor that when he pops up, you point at the screen and you go, "Oh, this guy's in it." Fuck yeah, yeah. Um, I think I was love- watching um, Entourage, and he was in an episode where like Johnny Drama needed to get medicinal marijuana, and he was the doctor. <laughs> I was like, "Is this Bob Balaban?" He's like only in this one scene, <laughs> like, he's, yeah. like he's being a medicinal marijuana. It's like, oh, he's great, and I love the I love his beard in this movie. Great beard, great opening line. Um, I'm a map maker. Like, cool. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, but then yeah. it ends up, it, it comes in handy. <laughs> hey, just, he, sh- he should have looked at the camera and delivered that. I'm the map maker. <laughs> just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the first line of the movie. And you're yeah. like, okay, what does this have to do with aliens? I thought we're doing <laughs> alien invasion movie, but sure. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so great. And that, yeah, like we mentioned, Richard Dreyfus, um, absolutely amazing in the lead role. Apparently, Spielberg's first choice was Steve McQueen, but it didn't work out because McQueen apparently wasn't very good at crying on command on screen. Um, so that that fell through the cracks. And then they tried to get, you know, all of the typical big names from the time, Dustin Hoffman, mm-hmm. Al Pacino, Gene Hackman. And but I really think that, you know, this movie obviously could work with another person in the role, but Richard Dreyfus is just so so perfect for mm. this particular role. No, you know, I agree. Like, because he was basically a supporting role in Jaws. And mm-hmm. again, it's like, you're going to now cast him as the lead in your next movie. And you'd be like, oh, people would be like, oh, he was in Jaws, right? I'll go see that. And I mean, yeah. a lot of the movie hinders on his performance of his performance of him breaking down is the central part of the whole movie. And he kills it. Like, incredible yeah. performance better performance than this than jaws in my opinion so <laughs> i would i would i would have to agree i would have to agree and apparently he campaigned really hard he he knew that spielberg was looking at all of the big name stars mm-hmm. uh but he just kept he kept pushing spielberg he was like look man i i this has to be me i'm i'm the guy for the role so obviously we're we're all very very happy that it that it worked out mhm Let's talk. Let's talk about aliens. Let's talk about aliens for a little bit. Do you believe in aliens? Do you think we've made contact? Yes, I do. And they're already here. (laughs) They're already here. No, I always think about it. Like, look, I mean, I'm not a religious person, and if you are, good. Like, yeah, that's fine. I don't care. Don't bother me. But I always see it as like. So you're telling me all those things up there, like galaxies have planets. Yeah. And, and we're the only one that has this, like of all of them, it's like, I don't mm-hmm. buy it. Like there's something, there's other yeah. things out there. Like I, I don't there's buy intelligent it. life out there. Yeah, for sure. And like they find like water on Mars. If you find molecules and like things in the water, then that's technically life on another planet. So I do think yeah. now are they, do the aliens all look like the same as when they draw them in movies and, shows and like on like in books they all have the big eyes like i don't know they could look exactly like me <laughs> like yeah. they could be like a clone of us like in the island yeah. they're just on like instead of underground they're just on another planet <laughs> like so yeah. i don't know i mean all the ufo stuff that's come out like yeah i it's gotta be gotta be other yeah people have been here before absolutely i don't know if we've made contact but i definitely they're definitely out there um, at least I have, I have not made contact, but maybe if I were to make contact, I would, um, 
you know, I would go crazy and lose my mind and have a new lifelong obsession. See, this is my this is my brain. I mean, like, wait, do you think they make movies on those planets? Like, can I watch their movies? Yeah. <laughs> like, how great <laughs> would they it be? Have, yeah, they've uh, been making movies for five or Like, yeah, yeah, they got four. They have eight Ks there. <laughs> They're yeah. that far. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what kind of lenses they're working with out there. <laughs> yeah, oh, that'd be crazy. Like, oh, I'd watch some alien movies. Like, like they have like five hundred. Like they've been doing it for five hundred years. Think of all the movies they could have, and you're like, oh man, yeah. kind of that you're gonna need. You're gonna need a bigger movie room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I gotta get a. Yeah, I have to get it delivered across galaxy. I need yeah. Amazon to deliver across galaxy. <laughs> Yeah, does Amazon Prime still do two day delivery when <laughs> yeah. it's coming from a different galaxy? <laughs> yeah. And is is it four K? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, that <laughs> that's great. Um, what do you think about this movie not having a real um, antagonist? Like, there's no bad guys. All of the drama, all of the plot is really just propelled forward by again, this character uh, Roy mm-hmm. uh, played by Richard Dreyfus, just his obsession with figuring out what exactly it is that, that he experienced. Yeah. I think it goes back to um, like my idea of it, like essentially being a horror until the very end. Like you could say that maybe the aliens or the military are the antagonists. Like, because mm-hmm. you still don't really know what's going on. And there's not, like you said, there's not like a, a big bad guy. Like, no, we need to do all this stuff. Like, and I think yeah. that's where these, a lot of these movies, especially when there's alien invasions and aliens in general, where I, I don't like the trope of like the military is always like, they're going to kill us. We need to make a giant weapon to destroy them before they destroy us. And, and I think that's the point like of this movie. It's like, you're leading up to that point where, I see it as a horror movie and you could see the aliens like you don't see them. They kidnapped people. Um, they took Richard Dreyfuss's car, threw it up in the air and like put it back down, <laughs> like kidnapped mm-hmm. a child. Like you could see yeah. them. It's like, Oh, maybe they're the, maybe they're the antagonists. Maybe they're the actually trying to like experiment on these people. And when you mm-hmm. realize they just wanted to communicate the whole time and maybe the antagonist is humans as in they're so quick to judge other things that they don't know and want to violently defend themselves as opposed to just, I don't know, maybe just thinking about not doing that. <laughs> and all he wanted to do yeah. was just like make a song together. <laughs> like it's all we did is just. They just wanted to collab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, we're just trying to coll- collab across galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. I also think it's interesting because like if we if we think about when this movie came out right it's 77 and this movie was like shot before like uh b- before Star Wars and i think was originally supposed to come out before Star Wars but then mm-hmm. there were like delays in the production and stuff so it ended up coming out later but in 77 all of the media that we had about aliens up to that point you know about aliens coming to our world were all about them invading and enslaving us and, um, you know, doing weird probing experiments or wanting to obliterate us. And like all of these really 
scary, negative things. There really wasn't a lot out there in terms of nice, you know, alien encounters. There was nothing Mm. out there that was hopeful about what it would mean if intelligent beings from another galaxy were to come here and, and be with us. You know, I think in a lot of ways, if, um, you know, if you are someone who, who believes that, that there are, are other life forms out there and that there's a possibility that they would, you know, come to this planet, I think that's a pretty cool thing. That's a pretty hopeful thing that should be a, seen as a as a positive. And the fact that there was nothing before Close Encounters that displayed that experience in a positive light, or at least explored the potential positive outcome of it, is it does say a lot about us as as a society and sort of how like messed up we are. But Spielberg sort of changes that. And I brought up Star Wars before because, you know, a lot of sci-fi leading up to that point was all very dark, cynical. And both of those movies are extremely anti-cynical in in really cool ways. And it's awesome that they came out in the same year. Obviously, I think Star Wars exists on a completely different, like, plane because Mm -hmm. of its cultural impact but close encounters is right up there with it in terms of changing the way that we were able to think about these kinds of movies about this kind of subject matter Mm -hmm. because then if you look at we get two movies later and makes et like it's the same type of like the government is coming after like there's an alien here we must destroy it and but if really think about it, it the alien is just communicating with this child and like he's just a nice simple alien that he just I don't know he just like eats candy so like just yeah he's just like, a friendly little dude yeah because yeah. if you think even before that like I always think of like uh, the original the thing the thing from another world like they mm-hmm. just crash lands they find the spaceship and the aliens immediately like attack 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 and a lot mm-hmm. of that is an allegory essentially for especially American movies of in like we're going to be invaded by some big country like Russia or China or something like that. We must Mm -hmm. defend ourselves. And like you look at the birds, like the birds and now it's like they're attacking from above. Things are coming Mm -hmm. from a space to immediately attack us. And instead, like, again, you can have that type of relate of movie here leading up to that very point at the end when you're like, okay, the giant mothership is here now. What's going to happen? Are they just going to zap everybody? No, they just communicating and you're like, oh, they just wanted to communicate like to be like, hey, here's our technology. We should essentially share this stuff and come on and come and join us. Here's all the people we we took from you. Sorry, we took them, but here they are. Yeah, sorry, we took them, but they're all they're healthy. They're they're happy. Everything is everything is good. Yeah, it's because it's interesting you point that out. Like, I don't I never actually realized, like, I don't think there was a movie before like this that had like essentially an aliens coming and their main thing is just communication, not attack, attack, attack. Cause you have like war of the worlds, the original, like essentially again, mm-hmm. attack, attack, attack. So yeah, yeah. It's interesting that he chose to go this route. And I think it has to do with that family communication type of thing. Um, yeah. And that's why essentially he's, you take something that's, you don't like that would be so scary. Like imagine alien invasion happening tomorrow. You'd be terrified. But what if they're inv- they come here and all they want to do is help you? That's something that again, 
probably up until this time hadn't been seen on the screen before or probably in books somewhere, but just in media, yeah. like visual media that probably hasn't been done before. Yeah. I'm even thinking of like the Twilight Zone. Uh, there's that famous episode uh, called How to Serve Humans. And when the aliens come, they have this book called How to Serve Humans. And all of the humans think that it's uh, a book about how aliens can help us. But mm-hmm. they're using serve and and like the sense of like – Like actually serve. Like here. <laughs> yeah, like serve to, serve to eat. Like how yeah. to prepare humans for <laughs> consumption, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is kind of hilarious. Like thinking about it, like that episode is just one huge joke. Mm-hmm. But yeah, even in like even like the Twilight Zone, like I mean, like you said, I'm sure there's a book out there, but it's nothing that really like penetrated the culture in the way that uh, that Close Encounters has. There was nothing out there that was like just hopeful for you know what. Mm-hmm. Again, what that, not even invasion, but just contact would look like. But then, you know, after this movie, and we'll get into it in recommendations, uh, perhaps, is, you know, the kinds of movies that were, that are definitely inspired by this or probably wouldn't exist without the existence of, of this movie, where, you know, in the last 40 plus years since this movie has been released, we have been able to explore you know, some of those ideas in, in a more hopeful way. There are, are obviously still movies that are just straight up about invasion um, mm-hmm. and, you know, destruction, but there are those hopeful ones as well. And, you know, like with this one, some of them can sort of teeter on that line of ambiguity of, okay, is this going to be a happy alien movie or is this going to be a an alien invasion movie where they totally, you know, destroy the earth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause if you really, we can get into the recommendations if you want. Um, but Spielberg has made multiple, multiple alien movies. So <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And all of them tell a different story. So it's, I think, I think he likes the idea of the unknown um, and what you can do with it. Cause he's also, they, they made a twilight zone movie and he directed a segment of that. So, he likes he oh, likes the yeah. weird weirdly out of out of yeah. worldly things. Um, so yeah, I forgot about that. Well, this does seem like a good point for us to transition into recommendations. But before we do that, I just want to make sure that uh, you don't have any any other thoughts or you know topics about the movie itself that that you wanted to bring up. Um. The only other thing I would say is the scene with when Richard Dreyfus first encounters the aliens when he's in his car. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, fantastic scene. Love that scene. Just I just want to say that, it's great. <laughs> absolutely amazing. I do love the scene when they're all waiting by the like highway on the side of the road for the mm-hmm. aliens to come back, and that guy has a sign that says uh, "Stop and be friendly." Yeah, yeah. Again, he's telling you to communicate. Just stop and be friendly. <laughs> like, yeah, that's like the whole point of the movie. You know, he's telling you the movie right there. It's on the nose, yeah. but some audiences don't pick it that up. They're like, "Oh, no. look at this guy." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's it's a lesson, right? That we can that you can apply to everything. You can apply to like your everyday life. You can apply to like how we should approach like other people in the world. Um, you know, like your 
per- personal close relationships, all that good stuff. You know, mm-hmm. if you're, if your marriage is bad, just communicate, you know, yeah. <laughs> if you, if you meet someone from a foreign galaxy or even like a foreign land, a foreign state, just, you know, if you're, uh, if you're a Yankee fan and you meet a, a Boston Red Sox fan, you know, just communicate because mm-hmm. it might not be that bad. That's, I think that's what he's getting at. I think that's the, the thesis of the movie. <laughs> I don't know if that will go over well with Red Sox and Yankees fans. <laughs> they just got to watch Close Encounters a, a few more times. And they'll be, <laughs> we'll be able to solve that rivalry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Well, if you, if you don't have anything else, uh, this seems like a good time for us to to get into our recommendations. Perfect. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. So just in case there are any new listeners out there, um, we'll run through quickly the rules for recommendations. So for every movie that we introduce into the canon, uh, we also recommend three things to check out if you like said movie. One of those things has to be another movie. uh, And the other two things can be anything else. They can also be movies. uh, They can be Music, bands, TV shows, a single episode of a TV show, a book, a comic book, a painting, uh, a, a you know a, a, a sightseeing tour, anything, a restaurant. We like to get really weird. We like to get creative. We like to you know um, we like to stretch um, the the recommendations as, as far as possible. The only rule is uh, is that for for any movies that are recommended, we don't recommend anything that is already in the canon. And we have a strict three recommendation policy, three and only three. So, um, yeah, otherwise, I think we can jump in. Pat will go, you'll give your first one, I'll give my first one, and then we'll just kick it back and forth. So whenever you're ready, give us your first recommendation. Perfect. So I chose three movies. So my first recommendation might be a little on the nose, but I chose the movie Contact um, by Robert Zemeckis. An entirely movie about communicating with aliens, <laughs> which I love is movie. really, really, really on the nose of essentially a kind of what this movie is trying to say. But um, I think it's great um, and a great connection. Spielberg, Zemeckis, best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's that's my first recommendation. Is Contact, dude? I think I recommended that movie a few episodes ago. You know what? I recommended it for Silence of the Lambs because Jodie Foster, Queen. No. Um, yes. But I was not familiar with Contact for a while. And I was on a flight last year and I was flipping through all the movies and it was like Shazam, Black Adam, like Wonder Woman 84, you know, Ant-Man, Quantumania. And then I saw this movie Contact and I was like, I- I've never heard of this, but I might check it out. And I throw it on. I see Queen Jodie Foster. I see young Matthew McConaughey and the movie is amazing. And I'm sitting on this plane like, Hey, any of you guys ever see contact? This movie kicks ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really, I mean, it's, it is kind of a long movie, but mm-hmm. a lot, like if you like really like are watching it, you're like, this movie is paced incredibly well. And again, mm-hmm. there is in that movie, a kind of a family dynamic loss. But she loses her father. Um, yeah. I, 
that movie resembles a lot of Spielberg like kind of tropes that this movie does like close encounters is in there's this family dynamic thing that she's always missing she's always trying to contact something that isn't there anymore yeah in her life but she thinks it's out there in the world in the universe um and I think that's to me like it's like the idea of contact just outside in the universe but you can also you're still searching for that contact for human essentially being a human is that's why i think this would pair very nicely with close encounters of the third kind yeah that's i mean it's a it's a perfect uh it's a perfect recommendation i love i love that pick for for my first recommendation i've been really excited to recommend this movie i've been waiting for the not the right movie, but the right enough movie to uh, to recommend this for. Uh, a movie that came out pretty recently, but I feel like it's very Spielbergian in its structure and the way that it sort of plays out. I think it's also a movie about uh, aliens coming to, to Earth. It does play out a little differently. It's not as hopeful as something like Contact or Close Encounters. But I do still think that it is extremely Spielbergian in a lot of really fun ways. My first recommendation is Jordan Peele's Nope. Great movie. Great movie. I love that movie. movie. Absolutely adore it. And the more I think about that movie, the more I love it. I need to rewatch it because I have only seen it once in theaters. And I own it, but Mm -hmm. I just... I've watched too many damn movies and I need to rewatch them. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, I saw it in theaters and I was like, this is pretty good. And then I watched it again at home and I was like, oh, this is really rad. And, you know, just the more I think about it, it's it's like a really amazing piece of filmmaking, in my mm-hmm. opinion. No, I 100% agree. And again, that is a different take on the alien invasion in a way where it's they're not really there to do what Close Encounters is trying to do. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Which actually leads me into my second recommendation, which is another alien invasion movie. Clearly there's a, there's a, there's a theme. A, there's a theme here. Um, and my second recommendation is M. Night Shyamalan's Signs. Um, nice. I love that I, movie. I chose this movie because it's the exact opposite of close encounters as in, yes, there is a loss within the family, but that family is a tight unit fighting against an outerworldly thing that is coming there to actually try and break them up and destroy them. And I think it, it's a perfect pairing of what if now Spielberg takes that same, because at, at the time, at this time with after six cents, unbreakable, and signs than he did the village. He was like a lot of people were saying this guy's the next Steven Spielberg. So because he yeah. had the same type of family dynamic going on in a lot of his movies. And I said, okay, so you take the idea of close encounters where it's yeah, it's like an alien invasion, but it's a, a family that broke down and then it's about communication in general. Like at the end, what if we did mm-hmm. it? This family unit is very tight, very tight. They're gonna stick together essentially and then this alien invasion is going to try and come and break them up so i think it would it's a perfect kind of pairing it's like yeah the same type of idea but you flip it and it's the exact opposite of what's happening in close encounters 
I love that. I was I had it on my list of potential movies to recommend, and I think another way that it mirrors uh, Close Encounters is they're both movies about faith, and mm-hmm. Close Encounters starts off as someone who is just he experiences something, and then he's chasing like where that faith takes him. Like he has so much faith that there's more to what he saw and felt that he just continuously chases it. And whereas signs is about a guy who has lost all of his faith and he's like, he's denying it for so much of the movie. And then at the end, based on what he sees, he's finally able to, to reclaim it. So you've got the family dynamic sort of on, on mirror, mirror ends of, uh, of each other with these two movies. And then you've also got that faith thing. So I, I totally love, love that pick. Um, I wasn't even thinking about the family stuff. So I I love Mm -hmm. that you brought that into it. Yeah, it's. I think it would pair very well. Um, yeah, because I I remember I just like thinking of movies and then I just stared at the poster and I was like, because then I, whenever I'm trying to watch like a movie like I'm when I want to pick a movie to watch my collection, the problem I have mm-hmm. is I will play the entire movie in my head and then I don't want to watch it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I was like looking at signs and I was like, oh, this is kind of like Close Encounters, but like flipped, like opposite, yeah. complete opposite of that movie. So I think it'd make a great double feature, honestly. That's he doesn't great. love alien invasion movies, so. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's a, uh, that's an awesome second pick. Um, I'm glad you chose that. I'm going to I'm going to veer off slightly, but not too far, because I'm still going to go with something that is alien invasion related. Um, but that's really the only connection point that it has to two close encounters, and I'm going to go with. A, a, I guess it's a series. I'm going to go with the SNL sketches with Kate McKinnon, where <laughs> she's just talking about <laughs> her, uh, her her experiences with alien abductions. Those Specifically, are the the I think there's either two or three with Ryan Gosling, and mm-hmm. he cannot keep it together for like the life of him. Like he is losing it. But I get it. She is like Kate McKinnon is like. That's the most hilarious that she is on SNL, I think. <laughs> um, so very loose connection, just two alien invasion things. <laughs> but w- some of the funniest SNL sketches of like the last five or so years. Oh, yeah. this The whole premise of that is just so good. How they just have basic like alien interactions. Oh, they wanted to test us. And like we were working yeah. communication with them. And she's like, what? Like, that's not what I did. <laughs> just, yeah. And then she has like the most ridiculous stuff that they were doing to her. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! And all the different like <laughs> phrases that she has for you know her her private parts are <laughs> like oh, yeah, absolutely so outrageous. Good. Oh yeah, it's so so good. funny. Great, great, great pick. Sweet. So what's your uh, my, what's your third one? My third one is definitely definitely out there. It has no alien invasion whatsoever. It is another Steven Spielberg movie, but I think what connects this to Close Encounters is the idea of communication and it's Spielberg's bridge of spies. Um, Mm. That's my third choice. It may be a stretch, but I like it. That entire movie is essentially about communicating, but obviously there's no alien invasion, but you're communicating at the time, these U S Russia, huge powers that had the ability to cause utter destruction and destroy everything. But your entire movie's relying on 
communication between these two things. And essentially it's kind of, it's probably a stretch, but <laughs> I think no, just, no, not at all. Like, the that idea of like especially when at the end of that movie when they're on the bridge and there's like that much tension and just all it is relying on is like there's no like physical fighting in this it's just all relying on how you're going to speak to the other people in order to make something happen which again relates to how it can be how am i going to speak to my father to make something happen between him and my mother so they can reconnect and mm-hmm. again, Spielberg subconsciously about communication. He probably when he rewatches Bridge of Spies could doesn't see that. Oh, again, I'm bringing up communication and how it's very yeah. important. And again, that he is a very tight family dynamic in there it, within that movie, but you don't see that family dynamic. So th- what's interesting about that is this father leaves and essentially lies to his family what he's going to do, but he's doing something good like uh, has a good outcome as he comes back to yeah. his family and his family realizes that, Oh, like my father is actually a very good person because even though he communicated with someone who's a Russian spy and is clearly a committing treason, he still sees that guy as a human being and he still negotiated mm-hmm. to get someone else on the other side that is also a human being back to essentially the swap. And when it comes to communication, I think it pairs well. I just chose it because it's Spielberg too. So, <laughs> got can nice. can never go wrong with the Spielberg double features. Yeah. So. I've actually never seen it, um, so I'm gonna have it's to add good. that to it's, my watch list. When I first watched it, I was like, it was solid. But I think the more mm-hmm. that I have seen it, I realized like it's because it, it's it was marketed as like this going to be this spy kind of like thriller and like Tom Hanks yeah. is going to like and obviously you're going to market it so you want people to come see the movie, but. The more yeah. you like watch, it's more about him connecting, like essentially just characters connecting completely opposite parts. One's Russian, one one's just an American like business lawyer or something. And mm-hmm. it's just just how it's all like all essentially all about communication, all about talking. And you can connect with somebody that is completely different from you in real life. You connect with an alien and yeah. Look at look look at ET. He connects with an alien. They can't even speak to each other. So <laughs> <laughs> can connect with aliens. We can connect with Russians. The possibilities are endless. Possibilities are endless. That's uh that's like a cool that's like that uh is that two thousand Spielberg? I feel like that was an it interesting was like run for him. 20, 2015, I think that came out. Okay. It was like the mid twenty tens, like yeah, he had an interesting run in the in the twenty tens. He made yeah. um is that around the like time ten, when he made um like Munich and stuff? Munich was uh 2005. Um, so he made Munich and War of the Worlds in the same year. They came out the same year. Oh shit! Um, he's he's done that a lot because <laughs> then he yeah. made in 2011. He had Tintin and War Warhorse come out the same year. Um, and then I think after that he made Lincoln, and then this was his movie after Lincoln, I think. Um, nice yeah i'm looking i'm looking at it now then i think he made like the bfg which is eh, definitely yeah pretty low on my spielberg especially rewatchability (laughs) um but that is kind of a children's movie um but he had a he had a couple run there with mark rylance for a bit he's working with him for a while (laughs) yeah uh uh, but then he made like again he made when he was making the post he essentially was doing post-production on set for ready player one 
like some of the cast and writers would be like he'd be handed like the tablet with ready player one like test footage and he's doing that and then i'll just hand that off and then he'll go back to directing like meryl street <laughs> on the set of the post it's like you're like just watching like this guy's insane yeah he's just that, insane. that good at it yeah but still for I mean, me i think i i think i bring it up every spielberg episode episode but the fact that he was he was shooting schindler's list and then he would you know at the end of the day after shooting would wrap he would just go and edit jurassic park and then yeah, both movies crazy. get released in the same calendar year like he he even said i think he said like to george lucas he was like hey um can you because george lucas helped edit, edit a lot of um jurassic park because he essentially mm-hmm. couldn't do it because he's on the set mm-hmm. for um so like the bare bones of that movie was actually george lucas yeah. that actually kind of put that together um, which is amazing. funny because then yeah. George like, Lucas sees the dinosaur shot for the first time and James Cameron sees that and like, okay, fuck. Now I can make these movies because yeah. look at that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> look at what this guy's doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, it's the idea that he needed the dinosaurs at the end of the day to, you know, like distract him from the depressing subject matter yeah, of yeah. the other movie that he was making. Just, yeah. He's you know. he's always said that he's only ever really made two movies, and they're both for his parents. One, his mom is Schindler's List is for his mom, and Saving Private Ryan is for his dad. For his dad, yeah, yeah. Which, like, uh, uh, there was another podcast. I'm not going to bring it up. It's kind of a popular mm-hmm. podcast, but they essentially rewatched the IMDb top 250. Um, mm-hmm. And when they got to the, I had to turn the Saving Private Ryan episode off because I was like, because they were like kind of ripping on it and saying that Spielberg yeah. just wanted to make more Oscars, get more Oscars, and I was just like, I can't like, th- and it's no fault to them. Maybe they just they just don't yeah. know the back of that. But that was a really personal film for like him and his father. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and once once I know that that movie hits me like a lot more, especially the ending. Um, yeah, but and it's I don't know how you could think that's. Not I feel like he talks effort. <laughs> he he talks a lot about um I feel like I mean all of his movies in in many ways are about or for his parents, you know, those those mm-hmm. two very specifically. Um obviously West Side Story and end credits are for dad. Uh um, oh, yeah. then the Fablemans is, you know, the most obvious movie yeah. for his his parents of, of all time. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, so we, we don't want to bash any other podcasts, but I will say here at the Canon, instead of going through the IMDb top 250, we've created our own list of essential movies. And instead of bashing those movies, we celebrate them and we praise them. And that's what we should you know, be doing. That's what we should be doing because movies are rad and we love them and we want to continue to celebrate them. 100%. All that being said, uh, I'm going to give my last recommendation. I uh I had a few different movies written down, including Signs. Uh, so I'm kind of happy that you mentioned it because it now affords me the opportunity to recommend this other movie, which I kind of wanted to hold off on recommending for another episode, but this feels like the right time to do it. So uh, I mentioned before at the top of the episode that I, I listened to your War of the Worlds commentary uh, podcast episode. I spent much of this last weekend rewatching Mission Impossible movies. Tom mm-hmm. Cruise might be my favorite actor, as problematic as as that is. Uh, I absolutely adore him. And He's a great actor. One of my favorite Tom Cruise movies, and this was fr- from like I think we're 
around the same age. So I don't, we've probably had similar experiences with this, but this movie came out at the perfect time for me in my Tom Cruise fandom, in my movie fandom. And it's another great, uh, I just mentioned the movie, so we all know what it is. It's War of the Worlds. I'm recommending War of the Worlds because it's awesome. It's Spielberg, it's Aliens, it's Tom Cruise, and it kicks so much ass. So if you haven't seen War of the Worlds, uh, watch it. Watch it with Pat's commentary podcast on, you know, in the background running while you're watching it. It'll be a great viewing experience. The movie kicks so much ass. I just laid out all the reasons for why it's a good pairing with Close Encounters. So, yeah, War of the Worlds. There was a What's period of time. There was a period in time when that was like my favorite movie on the planet. I saw <laughs> I mentioned it in the podcast, but I saw that movie 9 times in theaters, like 9 <laughs> times. I was so obsessed with it. I my mom bought me like the DVD and I was like, this isn't the collector's edition. I wanted the collector's edition. <laughs> and I was like so mean to her. And I and she went out and got me the collector's edition as well. I I don't know why I was so obsessed with that movie. Like, and it's yeah. not even my favorite movie of all time, but like it at that time I was just so and I think that's when I really became like a Spielberg guy was yeah. World. That was like the one where I was like, I could watch this movie any day of the week. Any day. It's a super rewatchable movie. I think, I mean, for like a 13-year-old guy, like who's getting into movies, Mm -hmm. that's like the the perfect one to watch. I didn't see it nine times in theaters, but I have seen it. (laughs) You're missing out. You're missing out. I have seen it. I have seen it many, many times. I think I saw, I think I only saw it once in theaters. Um, I did, however, see the day after tomorrow about seven times in theaters oh my God. oddly enough i love that movie i love that movie <laughs> it's it's like kind of a guilty pleasure but i adore that movie that's oh, like great i think there's a, there's a period man the 2000s like if you really go back and watch it you're like man these blockbusters are better than the ones today yeah these are they're like they these have disaster movies were like, great I love like 2012. Like, yeah, I'll watch that again. Like, oh yeah. This movie yeah. is so dumb, but I love it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I want to so watch John fun. Cusack, John Cusack, like drive a limo at a hundred miles an hour. The buildings are collapsing. Like, yeah, yeah. This is why I go rad. to the movies. This is why I yeah. go to the movies. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is why we love cinema. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Pat, this has been an absolute blast. Uh, before we say, our final goodbyes. Let's run through our recommendations one more time, super quick for for those who maybe didn't catch it on the front end and want to write down uh, any of our picks. So just give us your your three recommendations: one, two, three, boom, boom, boom. So I had Contact, Signs, and Bridge of Spies. Amazing. I've got Jordan Peele's Nope. I've got the SNL sketches where Kate McKinnon talks about being abducted by aliens, and I've got. Tom Cruise, ex Steven Spielberg, War of the Worlds. Um, Pat Brennan, thank you so much. This has been an absolute blast. Thank you for for joining the show. Again, listeners, check out Pat's show, uh, The Commentary. You can get it on Apple Podcasts. You can get it on Spotify. Pat, where can folks find you on Twitter to find pictures of your movie room and um, just an overall pleasant you know, online presence? You can find me on Twitter at Pat, P-A-T-T-B-B-8. Now, when I typed BB-8, I did not realize I was making a Star Wars reference. 
I'm not that <laughs> much of a Star Wars fan. I was just like, when I hit enter, I was like, eh, whatever, it's fine. So <laughs> I am P-A-T-T-B-B-8. But it's no, I'm not like, a, it's not a BB-8 fan account. Don't worry, it's your yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I love it. Yeah. Do you have any any upcoming episodes of the commentary that, that folks should be on the lookout for? So we just, last week I put out Super 8, another alien movie um go oh, figure. Nice. um <laughs> which is basically like a steven spielberg made movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, I, an ode uh, to spielberg to, yeah. <laughs> yeah today we just recorded uh collateral so that should be coming out very soon um and in the pipeline we have uh back to the future and catch me if you can so a lot a lot Amazing. happening this year for the commentary hopefully i love it uh all great movies uh yeah check out pat on twitter check out the show wherever you get your podcasts um we will be back here next week on the canon uh doing our valentine's day special so we will of course be talking about one of the most romantic movies of all time misery Classic. i'll be joined by <laughs> i'll be joined by a, a big crew of uh of some of your favorite saw contributors so uh we will be back next week with that until then stay safe stay awesome and we'll see you in the wasteland. Mm-hmm.